I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters, and we are up at University of Washington, kind of back by the visitors' locker room, and it's day six of spring football practice, and it was a cold one out there today, Chris. It was. Yeah, it definitely is one of those where it's like last Thursday, you know, I, I have to go along the gas works and along Lake Union to get to University of Washington for practice. And you see everyone out, you know, it's a nice day. Even though it was a Thursday and there was no practice, I was checking things out and everyone was on their bikes and it was like spring fever, everyone's 70 degrees out. And now all of a sudden I've got like my heavy fleece on and it's blowing like heck. And, you know, we're out there and, and talking to players and the wind's coming out of the west, out of the top of Husky Stadium and it's just blowing and it's like, Okay, we're back to this again. <laughs> yeah, it was like 40 degrees, but that uh, wind kicks in. And, you know, Coach DeBoer stopped by real quick and chatted with us just briefly, kind of off the record, but uh, asked him how he liked that cold wind off the off of Lake Washington. And he said it kind of reminded him of uh, Sioux Falls, you know, with, uh, you know, that wind whipping through. So he seemed used to it, uh, you know, uh, being back in South Dakota. So he says it was a little bit reminiscent of that. And it was kind of interesting, you know, he was just kind kind of, uh, you know, walking by, and he just kind of slowed down. So I asked him, you know, what did we miss today? And, you know, he chimed in a little bit, said that, um, you know, they worked on some short yardage stuff. He said they uh, were getting ready, ready for a scrimmage that they plan on doing on Friday. He said, you know, the offense, they were working on some things. Defense, they were working on some things. He saw some good and bad and, you know, a lot of give and take. But, you know, he stopped by for a couple minutes and talked to us, just chit-chatting. And what I found kind of interesting is, he just seems like a normal guy. I mean, he doesn't seem like your typical football coach that's all, you know, fired up all the time. He's a pretty even temperament kind of guy. Well, it, there feels like there's a lot of Chris Peterson and Kalen DeBoer, except for the fact that Chris Peterson typically wouldn't stop by and offer up tidbits to the media. He'd run by. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 if he didn't have to talk to us, he wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna offer up a lot of stuff. But um, yeah, I think he was. I don't. I couldn't tell whether he was maybe a little confused by the weather here, because I'd have to look. Is that are we on a similar tent like latitude to things in South Dakota? I I mean, we're pretty. We're pretty far north. We're only a couple hours from the border. I mean, South Dakota couldn't have been that much different, honestly. Yeah. Well, except for the except for the maybe the rain, obviously. Well, it's kind of like I told him. It's a wet wind. Yeah, <laughs> it's a wet wind. Yeah, it's not a dry wind. It's a wet wind, and you know it, it may be forty degrees outside, but you get inside Husky Stadium and that wind gets going a little bit. I mean, it it goes right through you. So, yeah, but maybe, it's maybe, it's it's football, but it's not fall football. It's maybe, spring maybe football. Those Calif- maybe the California weather softened him up a little bit. Yeah, he had to get back to his roots. Yeah, I mean they were in full jerseys. I mean full you know spring football workout. I mean they had the jerseys on. They full had pads. the pants on. Yeah, I mean they were fully dressed. Yeah. You know, wasn't shorts, but um, sounds like they're doing some contact but you know we just this is probably the shortest viewing period we've had uh so far this spring well we we got about 40 45 minutes but the problem was is that outside of about a 10 to 12 play 11 on 11 session where we got to see maybe five or six plays with the first team five or six plays with the second team there really wasn't everything everything else was basically like a lot of special teams and a lot of fundamental drills they were running a lot of stations which traditionally i i equate that to working on special teams. But I think these guys are breaking it down even more to just basic fundamental football, you know, movement. 
um, they were working with the medicine balls a little bit, or the not not so much the really heavy medicine balls, but those lighter, bigger balls, and uh, that was interesting. They worked a lot on that, trying to like locate them and, and you know use a certain technique to like uh, grab them, and it, it was just uh, it was in, it was interesting. It was different, but the downside to all of that work is that we just didn't get to see the 11 on 11 work like maybe we've seen a little bit earlier um, in spring. So yeah, I think I think. The install and I think them getting down to certain things um, is happening a lot more that they probably don't want to put in front of the media yet. But that said, even in the eleven on eleven stuff, there were a couple wrinkles where I looked, where I saw what they did, and went, "Oh, well, I haven't seen that before." <laughs> so you know, again, that's that's the reputation that DeBoer and Ryan Grubb and those guys have. They're offensive guys. They're 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 not necessarily known for the gadget stuff, Kim, like maybe Peterson was coming to Washington, but by the same token, clearly there's a lot of offensive innovation, and I think they're going to put a lot of that to good use. And and we saw a couple things. Obviously, you can't really talk about them in depth. That wouldn't be fair, but um, it definitely kind of piqued my interest when I saw it. Yeah, uh, sounds. From what we saw, it looks like Aaron Dumas may have had a fumble. How do we know that? Oh, was he doing the crab walk afterward? Yeah. No. Was that a crab walk or bear bear crawl? I don't know. Crab walk, bear crawl, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You're on the ground with the football, and it looks pretty miserable. Yeah, evidently, if you fumble the football, you're going to go from one side to the other. You know, you would call it a bear crawl or a crab walk with but the football. The, but, but the upside of that, Kim, is that he we saw him with the first team this time, and I don't know if that's the first time that he's been with the first team in spring in terms of the overall stuff, but in terms of what the media has been able to see, that's the first time we've seen Dumas play with the first team, and, and he actually was with the first team and the second team. So from what I could tell, I think he pretty much got all the early 11-on-11 11 11 reps that we got a chance to see. Do you take much from that? No. Other than just the, the groupings, like I thought it was interesting, Scott put in his practice report, he's, he's listing the, the offensive and defensive lines, and there really hasn't been a, a lot of change in that. The one thing I did notice is that, you know, Henry Bainavalu is there, he's working out, things like that, but they're still not playing him in those 11-on-11 sessions yet. So I don't know if they're still just kind of treating him with kid gloves and treating the knee or treating the, the injury um, a little bit lighter in spring so that he can build up and, and be ready to go in the fall. But he's out there, he's working out, he's doing a lot of individual drill stuff. But it is interesting, you know, DeBoer did talk about, when asked about um, Troy Fautanu, for instance, on, on Friday, he mentioned that he was getting reps inside and outside, and that kind of proved to be true in what we saw, because I saw reps where he was at the left tackle and Nate Kaleppo was at uh, left guard, and then they flipped. So Kaleppo was getting some tack uh, left tackle. Uh, work as well, so that was interesting. Jackson Kirkland at practice again today in a boot. Yeah, he's been. Nothing's yeah. changed. Yeah, nothing's really changed for him, and he's getting a lot of conditioning work. And I think he's just, I think he just wants to make sure that everyone knows that he's a presence out there. And um, when that waiver comes through, um, he he will be one hundred percent full on ready to go because he's taking a lot of mental reps right now. He's taking a lot. He's doing a lot of conditioning. He's basically doing everything he can do other than be a full member of the team. So that's good to see. Um, because when that, when the NCAA does pass that stuff, and I don't see any reason why they wouldn't give him a chance to come back and play, that he'll be full ready, and that'll be great because that adds a that adds a real significant piece to that offensive line. Everybody wants to know when when can they expect the decision on that? Well, th there is no answer to that question. Yeah, don't it, know, but um, it'll it'll just show up one day. 
And I, and I think the only the only reason well, let's put it this way the only way you would the only time you would want to get concerned if you're a Washington fan is if it comes into the summer and it's still been undecided because at some point it's got to happen and and because he's got to get settled in he's got to be able to ramp it up so that he can be ready for fall camp he's doing everything he can right now um, that said we still don't know what the prognosis is on his injury how far out he could be could he even miss fall camp or part of fall camp who knows. But at least everything, all, all the outward signs that we've been able to see point to, I would think, good news coming down the pike for Washington fans at some point here. But, again, the longer it drags on, you just don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way of knowing. Like I said, it'll just show up one day. Yeah. I mean, the coaches don't know. Nobody knows. You know, it's on somebody's desk back at the NCAA, and they'll come in from coffee. Hey, this has been sitting here for a while, and, and, and they'll and, stamp it. Yeah, and unless we get it second or third hand, you know, at some point during the summer, that's not one of those things that they would announce, probably via Go Huskies. So if we don't know by spring game, the last time that we probably talked to DeBoer in terms of the media, unless it's something that maybe he does with Softy in the summer, maybe there's an interview there or something that he breaks that news, it could be something where we don't know until August. Yeah, and Jackson's not a big social media guy either. True. Yeah, yeah. so this this could be something where – if we don't get it by the end of this the spring football campaign, we may not actually officially know until maybe that first um, Kalen DeBoer interview for fall camp. Hate to put you on the spot because, like I said, we haven't been able to see much contact stuff. But tell us a little bit about what you've seen. Not only this, you know, camp, but you know, uh, Troy Fatutana. In terms of what? Well, just, you know, maybe a little bit of a scouting report. What you see, where do you see him fitting best? you think he's best at left tackle, or do you like him back at left guard? Well, I think it's it's a bit of a quandary, and I think that's why he's getting reps inside and outside, because ideally you want to get your best five on there if you're Scott Huff. And if, if your best five includes Jackson Kirkland, then Troy Faltani plays inside. Now, if for some reason if Jackson Kirkland isn't available and can't play, in the fall, then your best five includes Troy Fautanu outside. So that's the biggest difference. And so that's why, at least my perception is on this, and this is why he's getting reps inside and outside. Um, you know, he played tackle exclusively uh, in high school, excuse me. <coughs> and, um, you know, he got a reputation as being a really, really strong kid and a really tough kid. Um, you know, locked some pretty big-time guys up that I remember. IMG game specifically when they were at Liberty. And, um, you know, I just I just think that even though he doesn't have that cookie-cutter height and weight thing that you got going on, you look at a guy like Senio Calamete who's had a long career in the NFL, similar size and similar build, similar toughness, and I think those types of things really play in well in terms of him being a tackle. But ideally, if they have Jackson Kirkland outside and bring him inside, he is one of your top five linemen, so that's how I see it. Nate Kalepo, <coughs> I mean, he's huge. Um, you know, and I maybe I shouldn't focus on this so much, but, you know, I never thought of Nate as a left guard. I figured him he's either as a right tackle or a uh, right guard. But playing on the left side, does, do you think that has anything to do with... Um, Excuse me. you think that has anything to do with quarterbacks being left-handed? For Nate Kalepo? Yeah. I don't understand what you mean because he's playing left guard. Yeah, I, I, I understand. But when you've got a left-handed quarterback in there, that would be, you know, your flip. You yeah, know. you'd be right tackle. 
No, what I'm saying is that you know the <coughs> the left tackle position for a left-handed quarterback is different than it is for a right-handed quarterback. Right. So, but if you're if you're because you want about, your you want your best you want your best pass brusher, pass blocker on the backside of the quarterback on the blind right, side. So for a left-handed quarterback, that would be your right tackle. And that's where I figured Nate Kalepo <coughs> more at instead of at left guard. Am I making sense? No. I, I, I don't know. I, I just know that maybe that would be a reason why they have Roger Rosengarten at right tackle, yeah. for instance. Correct. Um, but like Julius Bulow. Mm-hmm. I mean, that we, we thought maybe Julius Bulow would be at right tackle, but he's actually been, you know, he played left guard last year. Yeah. And he's been on the right side, but he's been at right tackle a little bit on the right side this year, too. So that is certainly something that Scott Huff has to play into the equation. Which quarterback's going to be there? Is it going to be Dylan Morris? If Dylan Morris is, then when you you have your left tackle protecting his blind side. Yeah. If it's Michael Penix, if it's Sam Heward, you've got a totally different setup. But it doesn't mean that you need to literally flip your tackle so that Jackson Kirkland ends up being the right-sided guy. You need to make sure that the guys that are on the right side are the guys that have been there the whole time and, and have been been able to do it. And I think... Part of that might have been the reason why Roger Rosengarten was getting reps at both left and right tackle even as long ago as last spring because or last fall because, you know, I think they liked his versatility. Yeah. I think they saw a guy that could put his hand, his right or left hand down no matter what the situation was. And so they saw a guy that, okay, if Sam Heward is our future, for instance, we could put Roger Rosengarten at the right tackle and he could be the guy protecting Sam's blind side. Obviously, they didn't know what was going to happen with Penix, but it just adds more fuel to the fire. It's like it doesn't matter if it's Penix or Heward. You've got that guy who's been there, who's been getting reps, who's been getting the experience, and it's not new experience because, again, like we talked about, it's something that he's been doing as, as early as fall camp last year. Yeah, I had a chance to just a, just a brief off-the-record chat with Sam because I've known Sam Heward for a long time, and... He's out there with his helmet on and um, full um, <coughs> full uniform, you know, for spring ball. But it, it's really obvious when you get up close to Sam that he's gotten bigger. Um, you know, he's definitely filling out. He's 200 pounds now, and I still think he's got room to carry another 10 to 15 pounds, which he'll probably add at some point. That just happens when you get older. But um, he's still not real thick. But, you know, he's very similar in size right now to Jake Browning. Yeah, and I'd be curious to see how much first-team reps he's actually been able to get because almost every single time that we've been out there and there's been an 11-on-11, it's either been Dylan Morris or Michael Penix that have gotten the first-team reps, and he's gotten some second-team reps that we've seen. But, like, again, today, the number one guy out there was Penix, and the number two guy out there was Dylan Morris. And, like, Morris had a great pass, a diving catch by um, Giles Jackson. It was a great play. Really good play, but didn't get a chance to see Sam get any reps. And so I don't know if that's just something where they're trying to keep him out of the eyes of the media and just kind of let him do his thing and not have him feel like maybe there's there's more pressure on it than it needs to be and let the guys who are the incumbents and the experienced guys handle this stuff in front of the press. I, I don't know if there's anything to that. I'm just kind of spitballing, but who knows? Well, I keep in mind, you know, and – you know, Mike Hopkins talks about something called a brain tattoo and something that Kalen DeBoer said on Friday that was a brain tattoo for me. You know, um, when 
he went off the podium, um, you know, somebody asked him, are we going to, are you going to open it up so we can see more live action? And his response was, at this point in time, I'd rather my players be critiqued by the staff by the, than the media. He said that could change, but for right now, I'd rather us do the critiquing rather than you guys. You know, and I get it a little bit, but I think I go back to the story, you know, that I've told a couple of times about, you know, Tyrone with um, when I asked him about Isaiah Standback. And Tyrone says he doesn't comment on his quarterbacks. I said, what do you mean you don't talk? about your quarterbacks and he said the last thing I need is to be misquoted and have it impact the play of my quarterbacks and I said do you really think Isaiah Stanback is that weak mentally and he goes I don't want to take a chance you know so I get a little bit of that you know that Kalen DeBoer would rather be critiqued by the staff than the media but he said you know at some point that may change and I think a little bit of that has to do with him just kind of wanting to keep his offense under wraps. Well, and also, I think those guys are pretty good about hammering the point home that they shouldn't be reading about themselves online anyways, whether it's paper, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. doesn't matter. Social networks, Seattle Times, Dogman.com, doesn't matter. Um, I think that's something that's pretty well drilled into those guys, whether it's been Steve Sarkeesian, Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake, or now Caleb DeVore. I think most of those guys usually try to put a media moratorium on it anyways. Now, that understood, it's not like they're naive about it. Obviously, family, friends, they tell the kids what's going on and what they're hearing. So it's almost impossible not to get critiqued. So that's where my feeling is, since it's almost impossible not to get critiqued. Yeah then you might as well just get critiqued. Well, also, we, you know, and I don't know the circumstances around it, but somebody told me that Kalen, um, you know, they'd been burned pretty good by a media member. And I don't know if it was at Fresno, Indiana, or, you know, Sioux Falls, I, I don't know. But he'd been burned, you know, by somebody in the media, you know. And, you know, when you get burned one time, you're a little bit apprehensive, but, you know. I still think, you know, Kalen's going through a little bit of an adjustment period, you know, going into a big-time program uh, to Washington State. Um, There's a lot more focus on it. You've got boosters. Everything is just bigger, and, and it takes a little bit of an adjustment for those guys as well. Well, I just, I'd like to know the origin story behind it to find out if he truly got burned to the point where it literally cost him a game or something seriously significant. Because coaching paranoia is not new, and it's not yeah certainly not original, and it's certainly but at the same time, when you're not in their shoes, how do you judge it? Tyrone closed down all the spring ball. Remember that for sure. <laughs> He's closed all the spring ball down. Yeah, well, it, it, it is Todd, what it is. I mean, and Todd Turner thought that was okay. Hey, it's his show. <laughs> I guess as it turned out, it was his circus. All right, uh, recruits at practice. Um, Landon Hatchett was the only one I really noticed for sure, but we I think we saw one um, who was there. I um, believe his name is Leroy Bryant, a defensive right. back from um, California, I think Bay Area. Um, so we'll see. But it, it just I think it was a good day for them not to have a ton of recruits out there because it just it just wasn't nice out. It, I mean, it didn't rain, but with the wind and the chill and everything else, 
they'll have other times to showcase. It wasn't great. What was going on in practice. Yeah. Um, you know, again, and I don't know if it's telling that Hatchet was at practice again. I don't know if it's just because he wants to spend as much time with his, with his brother as he can and enjoy it while he can, spring break and the whole bit. Um, but I think it could be nothing but positive that he keeps coming back and, and keeps kind of showing a lot of interest in what they're doing with the program right now. Yeah, it's, like I said, he's hard to miss with his rock star hair. For sure, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to a few players, uh, you know, talk to Asa Turner a little bit, talk to Jordan Perryman, uh, you know, the transfer from UC Davis, Kuao uh, <laughs> uh, Pejopa. Yeah. Uh, so- he had some real gold. I mean, he was talking about Steve Entman, which I think really turned our heads a little bit because we were talking to him about guys like Vita Vea and Danny Shelton. And he goes, yeah, you can talk about those guys, and I love those guys, but when you talk about the defensive line at Washington, you go all the way back to guys like Steve Etman, and we're like, what? It's like, okay, that's cool. And he goes, well, you know, I know I wasn't even alive when he was playing and stuff, but it's like when you hear about him and then you go check him out and you really do your research on a guy like that, it's like that's the guy you want to be. It's like, you know, I'm looking to see if there's any first-round draft picks that have gone to Washington that were defensive linemen. It's like this guy was like the number one guy, like the number one pick. And it's like you don't get it doesn't get any better than that. So um, you know we talked about that. Talked about being what it means to be a Hawaiian Husky and the the, the tradition there. And, and he was just he was really uh, that was a fun conversation because I mean I don't know if people remember this, <clears throat> but I actually spoke with Kwao when he was a junior in high school during the Polynesian um, Bowl um, because what happens is they'll do like a little media event for for next year's recruiting class. And so I got a chance to uh, talk to Kwao before, um, you know, all the stuff was happening for him, before he was even eligible to go into the next Polynesian Bowl. And, you know, he was talking so effusively about Washington to the point where I was like, oh, by the way, I need to take a picture of you for my story. I'm going to get a regular picture of you, and then I'm going to get a picture of you with the dubs. Because I just had a sinking feeling that this guy was – so enamored with what was going on with UW at the time, just by what was he was telling me and how he was being recruited, that this guy could end up committing to Washington, and he did commit to Washington pretty early in the process. So that picture came in handy. It's pretty funny, you know, um, when we do post practice, we get you know, a couple coaches and five or six players, so you just kind of grab who you grab, you know, and move on to the next one. And um, you know, Tuli, uh, Tuli Gasanoa was out there and there was like three or four guys around him one of our interns being one of them so i decided i'd just go ahead and get Kwao. no he wasn't talking to me until he said he had to wait until Thule was done <laughs> respecting your elders evidently yeah he goes no i have to wait until you know Thule is done that, but i thought the other thing that was really interesting and we'll have a story up on Kwao here in the next you know either later today or tomorrow but I thought one of the really telling things was, um, you know, because Qual paid, played a handful of games last year, and then we kind of wondered why Voy was getting all the attention, Voy Tunufi, instead of Qual, because Qual seemed to have the, the more of the college-ready body. Yeah. Whereas Voy is, you know, he's more of the 6'1", 270, doing it with the quickness, and he had a great sack, by the way, touch sack. Voy did. He, I mean, he just came out like a rocket. He's just so levels. quick. Yeah, he, he had a really nice move. He just... I don't know. He he might have been the left guard at the time. I don't and I don't remember if it was Nate or if it was Troy Faltanu, but he just left him in the dust, and it was pretty impressive. But <clears throat> talking to Qual, you know, because he got hurt, and that's why he didn't play. He hurt his foot, and 
we asked him, he's like, was that really frustrating for you? Because you were really poised to play a lot of last year as a true freshman. He goes, yeah, it was disappointing, but at the same time, it was the best lesson I could have learned. And we were like, well, why is that? And it's because he said he the reason he got hurt was because he wasn't doing what he was told to do. And that's why he got hurt. And I was like, wow. So he goes, though, he goes, when you're in college, it's no joke. He's like, if you if you do something, like if you try to do something different or if you try to do something that you weren't taught, it, it can really come back and bite you in the butt big time. And he said that was why he got hurt. And he said it was the best lesson I could have learned because it tells you that as long as you really trust your coaching and trust what they're telling you to do, you're, you're going to be in good shape and you're going to do just fine. Yeah, so Hawaii. I thought that was pretty impressive. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and as cold as it was out there, the Hawaiian kid didn't seem to mind. None of those guys seemed to mind. But then again, they've been going for two hours. So. You, you know who doesn't like the cold? It's the guys from Texas. Okay. The Texas guys. You say so. They don't mind the cold. All right. But uh, 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 recruits, we covered that. Um, anything else? We want to talk a little bit about basketball. Anything else on the yeah. football we need to clean up? I don't think so. I mean, I just, again, you know, I'll try to put out a depth chart here this week of kind of what we've seen based on what we've seen. Like I said, there was some a little differences on the offensive line that I saw. Um, today, they mixed things up a little bit with the corners where they had Perryman and um, Mish Powell out there, and then they had Elijah Jackson, Jacoby Covington with the twos. Um, they had uh, Alex Cook was not with the ones with the safeties today. It was Cam, uh, Cam William, Cameron Williams and Asa Turner. So I thought that was a bit of a change. Um, you know, again, they run those the, the, those front, first four guys at the linebacker without Imuli. So it was um, Tupatala, who we, I think we got a chance to talk to a little bit, yeah. and um, and Carson Burner, and then behind him was Drew Fowler and Cam Bright. Um, so hopefully we get a chance to talk to Cam Bright here pretty soon. I'm really interested in hearing his story about kind of why he decided Washington was the move for him, because um, talking to Jordan Perryman was really interesting, kind of getting his origin story about how things move so quickly for him once um, he decided to go into the transfer portal. And it sounded like, you know, he was getting plenty of opportunities from a lot of different places. But the thing with Washington kind of jumped out with him right away, and he took a visit, and everything came together really, really quick. Which is kind of unusual in this day. It is kind of unusual. Yeah. That, and I kind of asked him, I said, you know, were, was part of you thinking that you should take a little bit more time with this, or was there something really unique and, and, and special about the Washington situation when you came up and saw it that – that really made you feel like this was going to be the right fit. He just said the way that they talked about how they were going to use me and, you know, and, and, and all those other things. And, and he talked about his connection, I think, with, with Paul Creighton, who had been at UC Davis. So there was, there was a connection there with a the coach. Um, so all those things kind of came together really quickly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
moving on to basketball. It's just, uh, you know, we've been saying for a long time that once the season ended, you know, the transfer portal, once the uh, NCAA tournament was done, uh, the transfer portal would really heat up. And um, it's definitely heated up with two guys on campus this past weekend and trying to get another guy in. But uh, Isaiah Cottrell, um, out of, um, he's originally from West Virginia, and then he went down to Bishop Gorman and um, then went back to play at uh, West Virginia with Bobby Huggins. Um, he was only about 6'8 um, when he gr was in high school, but he's grown to uh, 6'11, uh, 245 pounds. He's a big kid. He's more of, he's not really a true center. I think he can play deep in the paint, but he's also a guy that can go out and shoot the three. So he's maybe a little bit of a center, maybe a little bit of a stretch four, maybe a little bit of a power forward, but um, he tore his Achilles his freshman year, and it took a while for that to um, get back and get his explosiveness back. And where he didn't put up big numbers at West Virginia, the people I've talked to said his upside is gigantic, and he's going to be a highly sought-after guy in the portal. And uh, you know, just like you know, people are talking about the back of baseball cards, and that's being who somebody is. Well, I think you could say that for a major leaguer who's been in the major leagues for four or five years, but I don't think you could say that as a freshman or a second-year guy in college, especially one that's been injured. Uh, you know. Guys that are in college, you know, first and second year definitely have an upside. And Isaiah Cottrell is a real interesting piece, you know, out there. But he was in Thursday and Friday, and then um, uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, they brought in the big guy from Utah Valley State, whose uh, hometown is uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, Fardaz Amac. I call him Fardog. It's just, you know, put that uh, G in his name. But he's 6'11", also 245. He's more of a true center. Uh, but he averaged uh, 19 and 13 last year, I believe it was. And uh, he's probably one of the top guys in the portal overall. He's highly, highly, highly sought after. You know, it sounds like Kentucky's after him. Texas Tech is after him. Gonzaga made an inquiry. But um, he was up this weekend. And from everything I've talked everyone I've talked to said it couldn't have gone better. But don't expect a decision from him immediately. So uh, that's one that's going to take a little bit of time and take some work. But... Uh, uh, he's probably the top guy on the uh, board right now for the Washington uh, Hoops team. Um, we've been saying for a long, long time the plan was to take two bigs. Um, excuse me, before I get into the guard situation, the other uh, one that they're trying to set up a visit with, and they are all over, is the guy from Oregon in the uh, transfer portal, Frank uh, Kepnong. What is he, 6'11", and he's gigantic. Is he, what, 260, 270? He's more like a true five. Yeah. I mean, he's built like a DeMarcus Cousins almost, you know. Um, he reminds me of the of the Balo kid um, from Arizona, Umar Balo, the second center. Yeah. Uh, the one behind Coloco. Yeah, yeah. Um, big kid. Big, big kid. Um, he would... Um, He'd be uh, just a tremendous fit in the zone for Washington. Um, kind of an enforcer, shot blocker, intimidator, rebounder. Not the best at scoring. Um, he'd be a better scorer than Nate Roberts, but uh, it would definitely be an upgrade there. But it would be kind of interesting if they were able to get, um, you know, far dogs and Capning uh, and put those guys in the double low post, similar to what Arizona did with. Um, uh, Coloco, Coloco. Tabellas. Yeah, having that type of thing. And then 
add into that, you know, uh, the guard, the point guard that they are all over and probably the number one guard on their board. And that's Noah Williams uh, out of O'Day High School. And uh, Noah, like I said, Noah was a, I thought he was a really good receiver at uh, O'Day as a football player, but he wanted to play basketball. His dad was a monster at, uh, at Washington State back in the day, had an NBA career. But Noah, um, uh, as a point guard, uh, elite defender. He was all-conference, uh, preseason all-conference guy and got into a little bit of trouble back at Washington State. Some of it his fault. Sounds like a lot of it wasn't his fault. And, um, you know, he had a pretty severe punishment back there and had a, a little bit of falling out with, with the, uh, the coach back there and seemed to be in the doghouse. So he entered the transfer portal, but uh, he would be an elite defender at the top of the zone at 6'5 and point guard. Uh, he's a good shooter. I wouldn't say he's a great shooter, but he's a good shooter. Um, it would lead a lot of transition baskets, but you put, you know, even if you're able to get Fardaz, you know, two of those bigs and then put uh, Noah, uh, Ice, Noah Williams at the top of the um, – top of the zone boy this looks like a real real improved team over last year with Jamal Bay uh, coming back and uh, PJ Fuller Cole Bajima and uh, uh, Grant um, Grant Jackson 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 Grant but uh, speaking of Jackson Grant um, how does how does Cottrell with what you know of him how does he compare with Grant or um, you know the other big that they have coming back um, Langston Wilson. Yeah. Langston's not really a big. He's more of a three. Um, you know, he's like six eight, but he's really thin. Um, he's more similar in size, not even quite as thick as um, Emmett Matthews. But I know that uh, Langston had to go down in the post at times because of need. You know, with um, Nate Robertson foul trouble, Jackson Grant suffering from COVID, and Riley Soren suffering from back issues. But um, I wouldn't really consider him a big. I think he can play down in the post. He's more of an athlete, I say, than a big. He just doesn't have the bulk. When you're talking about a guy who's 6'8 and 170, 175 pounds, that's pretty thin. So, um, you know, Jackson Grant, um, we really didn't get to see, you know, what we needed to see out of Jackson Grant when um, he caught COVID. And he lost 15, 20 pounds, and it really took its toll on him. It knocked him on his butt, and he was never really able to regain that strength. So um, we'll put some weight back on uh, Jackson Grant, and uh, he's a good player. He's going to be a good four-year player at Washington. Um, we'll see how that goes. And then getting if they're, they'll bring in two more bigs, and he'll get banged around a little bit more, and that'll help. Yeah, and, and, and talking about <clears throat> excuse me, talking about Noah Williams, it's it is really interesting because if you didn't really if you weren't paying attention really. Uh, and focused on Washington State basketball quite a bit, <coughs> you'd really wonder where was the the drop off because he dropped off like yeah. seventy points in his total in his total shooting from the field. He dropped over ninety points or almost ninety points from the line, a hundred over a hundred points yeah. from three point. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, this is literally falling off a cliff. But if you notice clearly, when there was things going off the off the court. That were affecting him on the court. Absolutely, I mean, there's no doubt about it. But when you look at the the stats from the year before, not only did he start all 27 games, clearly he was in a good place school wise, good place mentally, good place socially. You know, he averaged 14 over 14 points a game and and three and a half rebounds a game. Um, 
if you can get that kind of production, yeah, those aren't Terrell Brown numbers, but they're they should be really more than enough if you can supplement them with some of these bigs that you're talking about. Well, what we're talking about off the court is he did something stupid. He used fake ID to try to go into a bar, which was really stupid, right? But evidently, there was an altercation at the bar, and the, um, uh, the, uh, the bouncer... They filed an assault charge against him, right. and when that assault charge was filed, he was not allowed to participate and work with the team, even though he professed his innocence. And then several months later, the tape comes out, the security tape. They finally got a hold of the security tape, and the uh, bouncer was the aggressor and bull rushed him. So the assault charges were dropped, but he was still not allowed to work with the team, it sounds like, and he didn't able not do anything team-wise. And then when he came back, it just seemed like he was still in the doghouse. Um, and, and again, if you didn't follow it from afar, it'd be hard to know whether yeah. or not did the coaches back him up? Did they? Did he feel like they were backing him up? Did they feel? Did he feel like he was kind of alone in it, and wasn't and didn't feel like he his side of it was being um, backed up by the by this by the staff and by the people in the program, maybe even by his friends, uh, his teammates. So, yeah, I mean, you know, granted, I mean, it's it's a bad situation. Shouldn't have put himself in it. Yep. Um, he knew going in. Um, but, again, it really turned into a huge spot. It spiraled way out of control and turned into something that was way, way bigger than it ever needed to be. It was a simple case of a kid. A lot of, a lot of us have done it, tried to go somewhere with a fake ID, and if they just would have turned him away, and that would have been that. But it obviously, you know, they escalated it and turned it into something way bigger. And unfortunately, he really paid the price for, for you know, initially just kind of a, a, a youthful mistake. Well, I mean, he's a highly strung kid. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he was a good football player. He's, he's, had, he's got an attitude, and he really plays with an edge out on the court, you know. So, um you know, so I can imagine when this stuff happened and he knew what was going on and he wasn't getting the backing of his coaching staff, being a guy that's got that edge, I can imagine that didn't go over real well, and I'm guessing it um, uh, affected him all season. He's going to be a tough get. There's other schools out there. You know, people I've talked to said, other than the guy from Kansas um, Kansas State, he's probably the second best guard out in the portal right now. So he's going to be a highly desirable guy. And I think Washington's selling him on being the hometown kid and looking at what Terrell Brown was able to do, getting back and playing in front of friends and family. He knows Corin Johnson real well. He was a good friend of Dejon Davis, and he knows the Seattle basketball community. There's probably a little bit of bitterness in his mind still, you know, that they made a mistake because Washington chose Marcus Sahonis over Noah Williams, and the reason they did choose Sahonis over um, Noah was they felt that Sahonis was a better scorer. But uh, we all know how that worked out, and, you know, see if Washington could correct that mistake because I know they're really high on him, and that's a guy they really want. And I guess that's ultimately the, the X factor is if he does decide to come back and play closer to home, will that connection with friends and family be the stabilizing force that really allows him to get in the right headspace and get into the place where he needs to be in order to optimize his performance on the court. Because, again, I think we saw that, at least from afar, with what he was able to do his second year at Washington State. Well, the tough guy on the team last year was uh, Terrell Brown. 
He was the one that brought the edge. He was the attitude. He didn't back down from anybody. And you take a look at what Terrell Brown you know, did at Arizona compared to what he did at uh, UW. I give a lot of credit to Terrell Brown, but I'm telling you right now, it helped quite a bit being under the wing of Will Conroy for the entire offseason. You know, and when you take a look at Will, what Will was able to help Terrell with and put him into a first-team all-league guy, and you take a guy like Noah Williams and pair him with Will Conroy, because Noah's got more attitude than Terrell, you know, and, boy, mix and matching him with uh, Will. And that's the other thing, too, you know, with uh, Wiking Jones and Quincy Pondexter in their first year here. I think it took both of them to get a little bit of footing, you know, until, you know, being up here at Washington, especially Quincy being a first-year coach. But I'm expecting quite a bit more out of Wiking Jones and Quincy uh, Pondexter and their development, you know, especially, you know, Quincy working with Jamal Bay in the offseason and working with Cole Bajima and Wiking Jones working on a full-strength uh, Jackson and grants and you know getting uh Kapnang and you know um Cottrell or fought far dogs into into the role and you know they're again with Langston Wilson so uh, you know I'm excited about basketball and I think that they can really take turn it up a notch depending on who out of these guys that they can get well I was going to say not to go too far down the rabbit hole um simply because no one has committed yet and no one has made a decision yet it is interesting to think about how they would supplement trying to find that edge, trying to find that that player that plays with just an innate toughness and and grit about them. Because with Terrell Brown gone, like you said, and no Dejon Davis, who is certainly a gritty and tough competitor in his own right when he's 100% healthy, who is the – we know that guys like Emmett Matthews would be the leaders of these teams. You know, P.J. Fuller is going to add some leadership – um, you've got Jamal Bay coming back with his leadership, but it really does underscore the point. I think this is one of the reasons why they're probably targeting a guy like Noah Williams on top of all the other reasons that make sense for them to go after him. They need to find that heart and that, that, that toughness because who would, who would replace that toughness of Terrell Browns on this team right now? Who would that be? Yeah, it might be, you know, Corin Johnson coming in, you know, from Garfield. Um, you and know. is that reasonable for a freshman to be able to, to well, that's, well, replicate that, that right off the bat? Well, that's the point. You know, uh, you know, it's just talking to P.J. Fuller. I mean, he's got a little bit of it in him. But, you know, if you talk to P.J., he's just a really, really nice kid. You know, Cole Badgham is more of a finesse guy. But we saw a little bit of it in Langston Wilson. You know, he wasn't backing down, got a, got teed up a couple times from not backing down, too. So, yeah. you know, um you will see Jackson Grant, you know, he's, he's kind of a finesse guy too. But I think, you know, if you can get Fardogs and Kapnang in here, those two guys can be dogs. Um, you know, uh, Cottrell's more of a little bit more of a finesse guy. But, um, you know, and I keep on telling people the wild card is going to be, you know, um, a Menafield coming in from Flint, Michigan. You know, Keon, um, you know, Coach Hopkins, he just talks to me about him and just says he's slippery. Will says, yeah, he's light, but nobody can stop him. He's just breaking everybody's ankles. So it's going to be interesting to see what he can bring. Can he bring that scoring in? And as a freshman, can he come in and find those minutes? Can Corn Johnson come in and find those minutes? You know, Tyler Linhart, I think it's going to be uh, tough for him to find minutes. But, you know, with Hopkins wanting to go with that eight-man rotation, it's going to be interesting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up on the basketball team. I, I think that it's going to be real interesting to see who they land. And I've been talking about that for quite some time. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's Again, I think you mentioned it right off the top of the segment. It's going to be 
the news won't just all come at once because the recruitment of these different guys happens at different times because we saw that with you know Terrell Brown announcing fairly early on and then you saw an Emmett Matthews show up. But it, it took a while for like a P.J. Fuller, for instance, to finally kind of announce and get his stuff in order. So, it, it, you know, this stuff may just kind of trickle in here and there, but we certainly want to lay the groundwork and get people aware of the fact that the portal is churning along and this thing is moving. And don't be surprised if there's some news real soon because some of these guys are going to want to get their futures settled right away. Other guys, like you said, with Florida's, or, you know, they've got a lot of options ahead of them. They probably want to take their time and do their due diligence to make sure that they're making the right decision for them. But that said, it certainly sounds like Washington has put in a lot of work trying to set the table for this stuff, and now it's just a matter of letting the process play itself out and see if they can close these guys. Yeah, Corn Johnson, Menifield, Linhart, um, they're not expected to arrive on campus until June. so They'll be part of the leap. Yeah, they can't really work with the coaches any earlier than that. Um, Noah Williams, uh, Wazoo's on the semester system, so he's done with school like May 7th, I think it is. But uh, we all know that uh, off-season Seattle basketball pickup games is where it's at. And, you know, the NBA and the guys crossover, come, And there's all yeah. sorts of there are all sorts of events going on. Yeah. All sorts of runs going on. That's that's open, that's open tr- gyms. That's history. That's that's the way it always works around here. And so. you know I'm gonna hit some open gyms kind sure. of sneak in through the back door, wear yeah. some sunglasses and a hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> so And I don't know if they're still doing the summer league at North Seattle or not, but the you know, always stuff going on. There is always stuff going on. So any uh, last minute thoughts, Chris? No, just going back to football real quick. Um you know, again, we, you know, we kind of preface it, and, and we don't want to come off as being, uh, you know, maybe complaining or moaning about it too much because there's still things to talk about. But the lack of being able to see the full 11 on 11 stuff certainly, um, you know, limits what we can talk about in terms of what we've seen and, and what we know to be something that's, you know, a direct result of our firsthand observations. So we kind of apologize for not maybe going a lot more in depth with certain guys or certain positions, but you have to kind of bear with us until uh, we get a chance to maybe see more of this full stuff because, again, they have the open practice for fans and hopefully for the media on the 23rd on Saturday. Um, it sounds like that's going to be the second kind of the second one of the three big practices after the, the scrimmage this Friday that they're going to be doing. Um, and then obviously spring game. So, and even though we don't get to see much, we report more than anybody else. We try to. Yeah. We try to, but again, we're hoping that that gets supplemented by the interviews that we're doing with some of these players. And I'm telling you, the stuff that we got with Quao is was gold today. The stuff with Jordan Perryman I thought was great. Uh, I know you guys got to talk to Asa Turner a little bit. Yeah. Talk with Thule a little bit. I talked to, to Coach Brown and got some good stuff on him, talking about what he's looking for in the Husky position. And um, he kind of appreciated the fact that it's a little ironic that they called the position the Husky back at Fresno State, and now he's coaching Huskies. So he, he kind of he kind of enjoyed that. No, it's, uh, Coach Brown, uh, you know, it was, it was funny talking to him last week. And like I said, you know, these coaches, a lot of them don't have their families up here yet. So yeah, I didn't I didn't really want to go into that too much, but I'm sure he probably would have had something to say about that. I think uh, Coach DeBoer's daughter put out on Twitter, by the way, because uh, she's an elite uh, uh, softball player. I think she had two home runs and a double in <laughs> the game on Saturday. There you go. Yeah, and she's only a sophomore. Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, I think I remember pretty specifically Heather Tarr talking to the family <laughs> when DeBoer got hired, specifically the press conference in the 
uh, in the offices when they had it there. Yeah. I think I remember Coach Tarr talking to the family quite a bit. Yeah, it's got to be a good feeling when your daughter's doing that well. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, it's it's not like she couldn't go to UW and have her school paid for anyway now. Yeah. But being a, being a, a, a daughter of a state employee yeah she's a school employee yeah she's got this year and two more years of high school left still so it's crazy keep an eye on her but anyways uh for all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters go dogs